Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 23. Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin reign, therefore, in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, sorry, for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, as I touched on before we got started here, we're not going to get all the way through all of these verses. We're going to get a big chunk of it covered, though, tonight. We have just seen, last time we were together a couple of weeks ago, that we who are saved are already sanctified, but also in the process of being sanctified. Remember how we looked at sanctification as two parts? We are sanctified, we're set apart, we're holy, yet we're being sanctified. We're in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, Paul goes on in this chapter to show that, the, that understanding our new position in Christ will help us in living it out. All right, Satan wants to have us believe that we're still the same old person. We're not. And that will help you to start to move into living in the power of the Spirit of God, which lives within us. That will help you start to move in there if you really understand this truth, not just here, but here. You're not the same old person anymore. I could quote to you, and you all could quote it to me. You probably might know the address. But if I said to you 2 Corinthians 5.17, most of you might know what I'm talking about. If anyone is in Christ, they are a 
new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Folks, you are a new person. You are a new creation. You have been born again. You have passed already from death to life. Yes, we still live in these bodies. And the Bible says that God has put this treasure in jars of clay to show that his power is his and not ours. But many Christians today are deceived. They still think they're the same old person because they still struggle with sin. They think that they're the same old person. You're not. I'm going to make a statement to you that hopefully you understand. When you sin now as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're sinning against your nature. You're acting against your nature. It was your nature to sin before you were saved, but now you're a new creation. And when you sin, and I sin now, because we still do, we're acting against our nature. That is not who we are anymore. And that's why Paul uses terms like we've seen here tonight to reckon ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Consider yourselves. We need to allow this truth to, as we meditate on it and allow the scripture to speak to us, this truth to sink into our hearts, I'm not the same old person. By the way, has anybody ever noticed how Satan is out there trying to convince lost people they're okay? And Christians, they're not. Isn't that interesting? He's trying to convince people that aren't okay with God, oh, you're okay with God. And he's trying to convince people who are okay with God, you're not okay with God. Paul uses our spiritual baptism. Go, to, go to back to Romans 6 at the beginning. He uses our spiritual baptism into Christ, which our water baptism is a picture of, to illustrate our new position in Jesus. Go again, look at verse 2. He said, by no means about, shall we, we already, he at the end of chapter 5 said, no matter how much sin there was, God's grace covered it. And so, shall we sin more so we can have more grace? No. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, when you read that, a lot of you think you're talk, it's talking about your water baptism. No, it's talking about when you were put into Christ and Christ was put into you. That's your baptism. You have been baptized in the spirit. Remember how John the Baptist came on the scene and he says, I baptize with water, but the one who comes after me is going to baptize with what? The Holy Spirit. Now, that's why whenever I baptize people over the years, I always do it by immersion because that's a clearer picture of the real baptism. You're put into in the water. The word baptizo in the Greek means to dunk under or to, to, to put in. Actually, it's a, it's a word they used when they used to dye cloth. They would have the vat of the dye, and they would take the cloth, and they would put it in the dye. And then when it came out, it was the color of the dye. That's what the root of that word means. And so our baptism of being put into the water is a picture of being put into Christ, being washed and coming back a new creation. We don't, we're not the same one that went in. We're a new one. But I still don't think a lot of us fully grasp the baptism of the Spirit. That's why some of us are susceptible to false teachers out there who will say to Christians, well, you were baptized, but you need a second baptism. You ever heard that one? Even though the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Even though, as you're going to see tonight, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says that in Christ Jesus, all the deity lives in bodily form and you have been filled in him. Even though 2 Peter chapter, three verse, chapter 1, verse 3 actually says this, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. 
so we may partake of the divine promises. Folks, when you were put into Christ and Christ was put into you, you got all of God you're ever going to get. Now the question is, are we going to learn how to access that power? Now again, when people hear about accessing the power of God, they start thinking about moving mountains and healings and all this kind of stuff. Why don't we start working on letting the power of God give us victory over sin first for a little while before we start trying to heal people? You understand? Now, don't misunderstand me. I think God still heals. But at the same time, I don't want you jumping to a level of understanding that you're not ready for. Let's start letting the power of God that's within you start to show this new nature that's already there with the evidence of the Spirit, which we'll get to in a little bit. But before we move on, I want to show you something that I think will help you really get this picture of your baptism. Get yourself, my wife tells me this is a number 10 envelope, all right? Then get yourself, I don't know this number, is it a seven? Number seven envelope. Then get yourself, this is an offering envelope from a church, get yourself one that size, and then get yourself a three by five card, all right? Now, on the three by five card, put Jesus or the Holy Spirit, or Jesus and the Holy Spirit, okay? And then you take that offering envelope and you put your name on it. Whoops. And then you take Jesus and the Holy Spirit and you put it inside your envelope. Jesus is in you. The Holy Spirit's in you. Now you take that other envelope and you the number seven and put Jesus on it. And you take this one and you put it inside of Jesus. Then you take that number 10 and you put God the Father and you put that all inside of there. I think we're pretty good, aren't we? By the way, I didn't make that up. Go with me to John chapter 14. Go to John chapter 14. We'll start in verse 10. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Now, we would not debate the fact that Jesus was in the Father and the Father was in Jesus. Would we not agree that that was the case? And that Bible says that everything Jesus did while he was on the earth was not him doing it. He said the Son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the Father doing. And on top of that, he's just shown us, actually, it wasn't him even doing it. It was the Father doing it through him. He lived by faith in the power of the Father who was in him. And he walked in obedience, and the power of the Father empowered him to do all the stuff that he did. By the way, if you remember, Jesus prayed in John 17, as you sent me into the world, Father, I now send them into the world. Go to John chapter 14, verses 15 through 20. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I'll ask the father and he will give you another helper. By the way, that word another in the Greek means of the exact same kind as me. Another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be where? 
in you. I love verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to give birth to you and then just not parent. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You're going to become my children, and I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, and because I live, you also will live. And in that day, listen closely, you will know that I'm in the Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. That's the envelopes right there. By the way, hang on. Didn't Jesus just say, though, if I'll ask the Father and he'll give you the Holy Spirit to be with you forever and the Holy Spirit's going to be in you? But then Jesus says, in that day, you'll realize I'm in you. So which is it? Is the Holy Spirit in us or is Jesus in us? Yes. Is the Father in you? Yes. Folks, let me just say this. You want a real picture of the fact that you've been baptized in the Spirit? You've been baptized into Christ? When you get baptized, leave your mouth open. We always have people plug their nose in their mouth with a hanky. You ever notice that? I've always jokingly said, you wanted a real picture of this, what this is really going on? Go under with your mouth open. Because you're in him and he's in you. And we have been baptized already in the spirit. Now, the filling of the spirit is not more of the spirit coming in. But actually, the filling of the Spirit is allowing the Spirit of God, who's already there, to take control, to have fullness within you. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's yielding. Actually, if you take the word being filled and turn it under the control of, it will make a ton of sense every time. And Peter, under the control of the Holy Spirit or filled with the Spirit. We've always had people tell us that, oh, Holy Spirit, rain down. We sing, Holy Spirit, rain down. And I'm sitting there going, he already has. He's already within us. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Hello? Why are we doing this? He's here. We need to allow him to have control. Don't get me chasing that one. I won't chase that one. But I I preach in a lot of churches around the country, which I lost sometimes in the song service. I want to go, that doesn't even match up with the Bible. But that's not what we're here for. Since we are now in Christ... And Christ is in us. Our old self was crucified with Jesus and put to death so that we might. Did you catch that word? Might. Go back to Romans 6. Look at verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too. What's that next word? Might. Walk in newness of life. Let me say something to you folks. There are a lot of Christians who are in heaven who never learned what we're going to be talking about in the next few chapters. Experiencing the fullness of what it means to be in Christ. Go with me real quick to Ephesians chapter 1 and I'll show you what I mean. Ephesians chapter 1, and look at verses 13 and 14, and then we'll jump to verse 15 and following. In him, Paul says, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of, excuse me, your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our, our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason... Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord, Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, and the fact that you've been sealed by the Spirit, 
I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to who? To the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Don't miss what Paul says. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit, which is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. You're saved. You're going to be in heaven. But now that I've heard of your faith and your love for each other, my prayer beyond thanking God for you is that you'll have the eyes of your heart opened, that you would actually fully understand the hope to which he's called us, the glorious inheritance that we have in the saints. We'll have, we don't have time to get into that tonight. And his mighty power available for us who believe. A lot of Christians never move into that realm. Now, again, like I said before we got started, you're going to hear me use phrases that preachers that use the same terms use in an unbiblical way. We're going to stay grounded scripturally. But at the same time, as Vance Havner said years ago, he said, we're so afraid of going out on a limb spiritually, we stop climbing the tree. And most Christians, unfortunately, never move beyond, thank God I'm saved. And they wrestle most of their life against sin and all these other issues. Now, trust me, you're going to be dealing with temptation and a struggle of the flesh the rest of your life. But at the same time, the Bible teaches, well, let me just read it to you. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. By the way, you're getting stuff that they didn't get last night, so... 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 3 and following. His, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You've got it, but you have to learn how to become partakers of it, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, they'll be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look what Peter says. He says, look, you've been given these wonderful promises 
The power of God living within you, Christ himself manifesting himself through you in the sanctification process. If you just stay there, even though you're already saved, it's like you're blind to all the stuff that's available to you. And unfortunately, many Christians are. But didn't you notice he didn't talk about using this power that's available to us in Christ to move mountains or to heal? What did he say the power and the promises were going to be used to accomplish in our lives? Self-control, godliness, gentleness, evidences of the Spirit. So let's not take it to an unbiblical realm yet, actually ever, but let's not jump to when you hear the power of God to things that you want to see God do, and let's start hearing the things that God wants to see accomplished by giving us his spirit. Has anybody here ever, show, by a show of hands, ever, ever uh, heard someone say this? I'm doing the best I can. May ever seen that one? I always, the prophet in me wants to stop and say, God didn't give us his spirit so we would do the best we could. He gave us his spirit so we'd do the best he could. But a lot of Christians Never move beyond trusting Christ for their salvation. My prayer is that as we study Romans, the eyes of your hearts would be opened. That you'd really start to, and listen closely, in God's timing, in God's plan, come to realize these things. Hope to be called to the glorious inheritance of power. See, here's the other problem. A lot of those preachers that go to an unbiblical realm when it comes to the things of the Spirit will also say, if you'll just come down right now, so-and-so will lay hands on you, and they'll be... Guess what? Read your Bibles. God says, blessed in Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man who meditates on God's word day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. His leaf will not wither. He is fruit will be produced when? In its season." And everything he does prospers. God's not in a hurry. He's actually very patient with us. Would we not agree? And so be careful as we start to move into experiencing the fullness of Christ in us that you don't fall prey to the enemy coming and saying, well, how come I don't say it now? How come I don't say it now? How come I don't say it now? And you have to say, God's not in a hurry. But he will do it. And he said he would. And you take your eyes off of whether or not everybody else is experiencing, and you just start letting God manifest his power in your life in the areas that he's working on. Was it you, Frank, that shared with me about the artichoke? No, I don't eat them. You don't eat them? Okay. I can't remember who it was. I'm going to give you the artichoke illustration that Frank should have told me, but he didn't because he doesn't like artichokes. This man, this man came to me after I was teaching on this one day, and he said this. He said, I see God working on me like an artichoke. He said, an artichoke has a bunch of different points. And he said, I would, say, I would pray, God, I want to lose weight. And God says, put that one back. I'm not working on that right now. I'm working on lust. God, okay, now I want to lose weight. No, God says, I'm not working on that one right now. I'm working on your selfishness. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a whole lot of us that needs work, correct? And let God choose what part of the artichoke he's going to work on. You can ask him, but he might say, in time, in time, he's got a plan for each of us. Go to Galatians chapter 2. 
and look at verse 20. And I'm going to have to speed up or we won't even catch up to where we were last night. Galatians chapter 2, look at verse 20. It's a passage you all know well, but I want you to take a look at it. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Look at that. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I do now live in this flesh, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God. We're going to see this later on tonight. I'm going to show you a passage of Scripture you might not have ever really ever seen. So just hang on for that. Go to Colossians now. Colossians chapter 2. Look at verses 6 through 15. We're going to start learning how to live by faith in the Christ who lives within us and has died for us and loves us. In Colossians chapter 2, look at verses 6 through 15. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Remember, he's been given to the church. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised in with him and through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in trespasses and right in uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, <clears throat> excuse me, with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Don't miss this. The circumcision rite and law that God laid out was a picture of what Jesus was going to do. Actually, we didn't go on to the very next verses, but in the very next verses, Paul says, don't let anybody judge you on whether or not you keep a new moon festival or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things to come, a picture of the things to come, the realities found in Christ. Are there not people out there that are still trying to say that Christians are supposed to worship on Saturday because of the Sabbath laws and regulations of the Old Testament? Even though the Bible says don't let anybody judge you whether or not you keep a Sabbath day. Because people are still want to put you back under the law. You're going to see this tonight a lot, that we're no longer under the law but under grace, and we're going to get to that. But at the same time, we who are in Christ, all of those things were pointing to what was going to be done for us through Jesus and are ours now. Let me say this to you now, folks. Every single day, I honor the Sabbath when I trust in Jesus and rest in him for my salvation. That's what the Sabbath was pointing to. Resting from your work and trusting in him to provide, correct? Oh, by the way, circumcision was a cutting away of the flesh. What did they do with the flesh after they cut it away? They threw it away. By the way, if circumcision was how you got saved, you ladies are in trouble. 
right? Have you ever thought about that? The Hebrew writer brings out in the book of Hebrews that people should have caught on that the sacrificial system and their yearly rituals weren't able to take away sin because they had to keep being offered. If we would think about some of these things and realize the scriptures all along been saying they've been pointing to something that's coming and that's Jesus. Circumcision should have pointed out to a lot of people. Ladies are in trouble if you're saved by circumcision. No, it was a picture of the cutting away of the flesh. And if you're in Christ, you've already been circumcised. He has cut your flesh away and thrown it away. You've been crucified with Christ. You no longer live. You now live by faith in the Son of God. Even though we're still in the flesh, it's been separated from us. It's been cut away. And God's not judging us now on how good we do or how bad we do. He's wanting us to live by faith in him and his power. Just as you received him as Lord, now walk in him. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Look at verses 1 and following. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. By the way, is it a done deal or process? It sure is. Look at verse 10. You have put on the new self. Yes, that's a done deal, but you're being renewed. The new self is being renewed in the image of its creator. You're sanctified, but you're being sanctified. And so God just listed a bunch of pieces of the artichoke there, didn't he? Anger, wrath, malice, sexual immorality. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you in the areas that he wants you to start to experience his power and his very great promises. And be careful of the danger of wanting to tell everybody else all the areas that you think they need to work on. No, Romans 14 verse 4 says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and the Lord is able to make him stand. So, my responsibility to live out and work out this salvation, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, work out this salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, though, says, for it's God who works in you to will and to, to act according to his good purpose. My responsibility is daily to say no to my flesh and yes to the spirit. Go with me to Romans chapter 12. I want you to see something in a passage that most of us can quote that you might not have seen. And this isn't the passage I referred to yet. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your what? Spiritual worship. Now, before we go any further, don't miss this. You want to worship God? 
What is worship? Saying no to the flesh and yes to him. That's worship. Whatever we do, we do to the glory of God, whether we eat or what we drink. And as you're about to see in, in, in the scriptures, he's not measuring whether or not you do good or bad by what you eat or what you drink. But whether or not what you eat or what you drink is in faith that the spirit of God is saying it's okay. We're, we're not under law. We're under grace. And we need to learn now how to stop judging good or bad days, not by what we do or don't do, but by living in his power, by, his, by faith in his power. Your spiritual act of worship is to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. Look at verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Did you catch that? This is a battle that's going to go on in our minds. Because that's where God is going to speak to us from our hearts. And that's where the enemy is going to come after us. And that's where we're connected to the spirit and the flesh. And we're going to have to learn how to recognize the spirit speaking how to recognize the enemy speaking, how to know what is right, what is wrong, according to the Spirit. And we're going to have to learn how to say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit and start to experience that power of God that is available to all of us who believe. And by the way, when you start to partake of these promises by saying no to the flesh and saying yes to Jesus, I want to do what you want, you're all of a sudden going to start to see virtue and knowledge, self-control, love, Kindness, gentleness, this is what God's wanting to show. And this is what God's wanting to reveal through you to the people around you. And by the way, let me ask you a quick question. Is today in the world that we're living in right now a very easy opportunity to let some people see love and gentleness and kindness and self-control? I mean, you wouldn't have to be very bright to shine as a light in this world right now. But you know what? Unfortunately, take it from someone who travels the country and deals with Christians all over the country. Most Christians today don't look a whole lot different from the rest of the world. Even though they're saved. It's because they're living in the flesh. And not in the spirit. And it's a daily thing that we have to learn how to do throughout the day. If you go to a special service and a guy lays hands on you, I promise you, you'll have the same problem tomorrow. <laughs> Now, let me say something to you here. I have in my notes here, I shouldn't have to say this, but I do. We have a mighty power within us that will give us victory over our flesh. If we lose the battle, it's not a power issue. We just chose not to use his power. Plain and simple. Uh, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Correct? If you lose the battle, you're not going to lose the war. He's going to finish. You may get to heaven missing out on a lot of reward. Because there are Christians who don't fully understand all these promises or to partake of the spirit within them and walk in the spirit. That's why Paul had to continually say, look, walk in the spirit, walk in the spirit, walk in the spirit. We need to be reminded of this. But let me say this. If you lose the battle, it's not a power issue. If Christ is in you. You've got plenty enough power to defeat the enemy. You just chose 
not to. That's all. Go to Ephesians chapter 6, though. We need to be reminded of something. Ephesians chapter 6, look at verses 10 through 18. Ephesians 6, look at verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Has anybody noticed this is plural? We've always thought we were fighting Satan. You're against a bigger army than that. We fight against the rulers, plural, against the authorities, plural, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, before I go any further, are you going to win against that? When you wake up tomorrow morning, are you going to just have that little thing written on your cue card on your mirror while you're brushing your teeth? Today, I'm going to defeat the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. No, you can't. Apart from him, you can do nothing. You have to learn how to throughout the day walk in the spirit, being in constant communication with the father. That's why we need to put on the whole armor of God. Let me read this to you. Keep reading. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Folks, we are in a battle. And if you're ignorant to this, which most are, you're going to lose most of the time. But if you understand what's really going on, you'll start to understand your need to be in continual communication with the Father and needing Him. Now, let me give you an illustration. I'm a competitive person. I love to win. I don't like to lose. I'm not a jerk about it, but if you beat me, my attitude's going to be, let's play again, because I think I can win the next one. But if I'm going to compete against you in something, and it's a sport we'll compete against each other, say we're going to play ping pong. I'm going to say, let's just warm up. Before we go, let's just hit a couple of balls back and forth. Now, let me just fill you in. I don't need to warm up. I've been playing ping pong for a long time. But the reason I say let's warm up is I want to see whether or not you can respond to a backhand. Whether or not you like the top spin or don't like the backspin. Are you weak on your left side or your right side? I'm going to be hitting it all over to find where you're weak. Why? because that's where I'm going to attack when we play against each other. What is, and actually, this one guy said when I shared this illustration last night, so when ping pong, you're Satan. <laughs> Let me say this. How many of you, and I want honesty here, it'll help with the people around you. How many of you who are born again Christians, know you're going to heaven, have wrestled with at some point in your life whether or not you were really saved? 
there isn't a person in here that didn't raise their hand. But that's an area Satan will attack you until you put on that helmet of salvation, until you allow the truth of the word of God to take root in your heart. And trust me, folks, he worked me over for two years when I was an associate pastor of a big church in New Orleans. Worst two years of my life. But, buddy, I can tell you that much after coming through that battle, that helmet's on, and I don't even worry about that. Anymore. He ain't going to get me there anymore. But that's why we need the full armor of God, and that's why we need to pray at all times, and we need each other. Have you all noticed it keeps talking about with all the saints, together with all the saints, together with all the saints? you got to be plugged in with other believers as well. If you're going to have victory, you won't have as much victory if you isolate yourself. You need to experience the full power of God. We need each other because he's designed it to work in community as well. But that's another message for another time. Go to Romans chapter 8. Look at verses 9 through 14. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who doesn't have the spirit of Christ does not belong to it. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead might? No will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. How do we activate this power then? By faith. I actually was listening to Tony Evans as I was getting here tonight, and he was talking about the fact that our houses have, because of our relationship with the power company, our houses have power. But the power company is not going to come and flip the light switch on for you. you got to do that. We have because of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we have the power. But he's not going to flip it on for you. You have to act on it by faith. Just like you had to act on your salvation and respond to it by faith, you have to act on these promises by faith. God, you said, oh, by the way, um, if you don't know his promises, how can you act on them? That's why we need to spend time daily letting him speak to us from the word. And allowing, don't just say, I read my Bible. No, no, no. What did he say? Don't move on to the next passage until some truth from there has made it to your heart. Then you can move on. But don't just say, I read this, I read that. No, no, no. Meditate on his word. Chew on his word. Allow his word to speak. John chapter 17, Jesus said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Does anybody remember the rest of that verse? Your word is truth. How are we going to experience this power? We know what he said. We believe what he said. We act in faith and ask him to do it, believing that he will. We act and we start to experience the power of God. I actually, I, I study and I make notes. But when I teach and when I preach, I do it in his power. Because I'm not resting in my study or my notes. I'm actually talking to him the whole time, listening to him and letting him show me where to go and what to do. And the Bible actually says that all of us and whatever gifts we've been given, that's another whole level of this experiencing the power of God. Whatever he gifts he's given us, he wants to empower us to do them. There's so much more Christians. I just I pray that God would just put a desire in you and ask him for it because it's something he wants. And if you ask according to his will. He hears you. And if he knows that he hears you, you have. 
what you've asked for. By the way, that's a promise. And I know it because I didn't just read it. I put it in my heart. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, look at verses 16 through 25. Galatians 5, 16 through 25. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And anybody notice that? We've spent so much time trying to stop sinning, and Jesus says, just walk with me. Spend your time with me. Spend time in the word. Spend time in prayer. Commune with me. And as you do, well, I think the Bible says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll what? He'll leave. Because he's not afraid of us, but he's definitely afraid of him who lives within us. And when we allow him to be in control, he don't stick around. So I say, walk by the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he's not saying if you've ever done that, you won't inherit. He's saying if that's how you live your life, if that is the evidence of you, you probably aren't saved. But the evidence, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the spirit in other words if we've been born again and we've been made alive by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking one another ending one another did you catch that he says you won't if you walk in the spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And you want evidence of the flesh? It's not just sexual immorality and orgies, which are on each end of the list. What's in the middle? Envy, jealousy, strife, dissensions, factions, anger. All the stuff we see in business meetings and churches. But the evidence of the spirit being in control is gentleness, kindness, self-control. Oh, and by the way, against these, there is no law. By the way, has anybody noticed? Go back to Romans 6, verse 14. How we have been saying, hearing over and over throughout all this study and a lot of these passages, how you're not under law, but under grace. Look at Romans 6, 14 again. For sin will not have dominion over you, since you're not under law, but under grace. Here's where we're going to wrap up tonight. Once we are in Christ, listen closely. It's no longer a matter of doing good versus doing bad as much as it's a matter of walking in the spirit or not, living out of our new nature by faith on a daily basis or not. What God's looking for is not whether or not we keep the rules. What he's looking for is whether or not we walk by faith in him and his power or not. That's what he's looking for. Yet most Christians still judge their pleasure with God or God's pleasure with them, if you will, according to how good you've been, 
right? You're not under the law. He's not even using that anymore to measure you. The law's purpose was to drive you to Christ. Now that you're in Christ, he's looking for faith. Let me show you what I mean. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Here's that passage that I thought that many of you might not have seen. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll get verses 5 through 11. 1 Timothy 1, starting in verse 5. Paul says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Don't miss that. The aim of our charge, what we're looking for, is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just. Who are the just? The saved, believers. The law is not laid down for the believers, but for the lawless. And disobedient, and for the ungodly, and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, those who strike their fathers and mothers, the murderers, sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. Paul says, listen to me, our charge, our aim, the aim of our charge is that you would live a life of love that's manifested or empowered by faith in God. The law is not for the just. It's for those people that need to realize they need a savior. But now once you're in Christ, you're not under law. You're now under grace. And what God is looking for is faith. Go to Romans 14. Now, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but in Romans 14, because we're going to spend our time diving into the chapter when we get to Romans 14, sometime in 2023. But, but, uh, but look at Romans 14. He's been dealing with judging each other, whether or not they eat certain things right or drink or shouldn't eat or shouldn't drink or whether or not they think one day is more sacred than another, all these different things. And he's saying, look, each of you need to know fully what God's telling you to do. But look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, though, keep between yourself and God about these things. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. What God calls sin is anything that doesn't proceed from faith. Let me say something to you. I could take you through a whole study of the scriptures and show you that in and of itself, having a glass of wine or having an alcoholic drink is not a sin. To be drunk, the Bible says, is, very, is, is a sin. But to actually have a drink is not sin. But for Jim Johnson, 
Because God has told me how he wants me to live in the role that he's given me so that I never cause a brother or sister to stumble. He has told me, he hasn't told you, he might have, but he's only told me, I know, that I'm not to take a drink. And if I did, even though biblically you could show me, that's okay, Jim, I would be sinning because I would not be doing it by faith that God said it was okay. Now, there may be an opportunity or a situation in which God says, in this instance, it's okay. And if I knew that he was saying it was okay in that instance, and I had the drink, I would be doing it by faith that God said it was okay. You understand? But if I know that he's told me for my life to stay away from it as a whole, I would go back to what he's told me, and I live my life walking in obedience to what his spirit is showing me. He'll never contradict his word. He'll never contradict his word. And that's why we need to know the will of God and the word of God to be able to recognize who's talking to us. That's why 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, to test every spirit to see whether or not they're from God. We've got to know who's talking to us. But anything not done by faith is sin. Go to Galatians chapter 5 and look at verse 6. Actually, I'm sorry. We're in Romans. I hope I haven't moved you too quick. Go to Romans 7 first, and then we'll end up in Galatians 5. Go to Romans chapter 7. Look at verses 4 through 6. Romans 7, 4 through 6. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to, one, to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, for those of you that were raised in the church, would you not agree that the church was still teaching law even after we were saved? Everything was the rules and the regulations. Don't drink, don't do this. You gotta, can't go out to eat on Sunday. And Many of us, unfortunately, part of the reason why we've never learned to move into the power of the Spirit is we were raised in a church or churches that taught salvation by faith alone and sanctification by doing the right things and not doing the wrong things, correct? We've all heard, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do. You know that one, right? You may be surprised how much of your walk with Christ has been trying to earn his approval by putting yourself back under the law. Now you have to learn in his time, in his way, and you're not the judge of your brother or your sister, because that's why Paul says, one considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. I could convince you and show you scripturally, I might not convince you, but I could show you scripturally that there is no Sabbath day regulation for Jim Johnson anymore. But at the same time, if you still feel like you better obey the Sabbath or you're sinning, I would be sinning to tell you to go against what you think God's telling you to do. You understand what I'm saying? I want you to live by faith. And what you believe God's saying. But don't judge me if I don't see it the same way. Oh, by the way, have Christians kind of been attacking each other about this whole vaccine or no vaccine thing? It's sad. But it's because Christians are still trying to be sanctified by going back to the law. 
this is right and this is wrong. The scripture doesn't say whether or not a vaccine is approved or unapproved, yet we are attacking each other over it or wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. We'll get to that when we get to Romans 14, but Romans 14 deals with that whole issue. But I say to you, you want to start moving into the power of God? Know what he's telling you to do. We'll close with Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. We've already seen Galatians 5, 16, where it says, walk in the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. But look at Galatians 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only what? Faith working through love. We're going to spend a little bit more time diving into this when we pick up next week. Till then, you've drank from the fire hose. I love you. We'll see you next week.